This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode number 223 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. In this episode, we have Cody Caswell. Cody is a real estate investor based in Louisiana, and in this episode, Cody will talk about how the BRRRR strategy actually works and how, if used correctly, is an extremely effective tool to help you quickly scale your rental portfolio. And hint, hint, the big secret is in the financing. Cody will talk about investing in real estate at a young age and how he wasted a lot of time early in his investing career by dabbling in all the different investing strategies and how he really found his stride once he focused on his strengths in construction and cut out all the noise. So if you're a new investor and you don't know where to start, then you need to listen to this episode. If you guys enjoy this podcast, do me a quick favor and leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. If you love it, give us five stars. And if you hate it, then give us one star. But in any case, leave us a review. It'll help support the show a lot and will help us grow to get more listeners. And by spreading the show, we can get more people to become better real estate investors and to help change their lives. And this real estate market is still incredibly hot. So if you're looking for a hard money loan for your fix and flip projects, or if you're looking for 30-year fixed loans for rental properties with rates as low as 4%, you can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Let me know that you're a podcast listener, and I'll give you a discount on our processing fee. And now, on to the show. All right, Cody, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Okay, so my name is Cody Caswell. I'm in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I'm 24 years old. I'm a real estate investor primarily in flipping houses and in the BRRRR strategy for buy and hold rentals. We do single family, small multifamily, kind of dipping our toes into some larger multifamily here in town. But yeah, that's the bulk of what we do. We do a little bit of contract work on the side, but it's something we're kind of working out of, more trying to get into full-time investing. That's what we've been doing in the past, what we continue to do in the future. That's awesome. And you know, our listeners can't see this, but Cody, you are relatively young and it is not super normal for you know, young people to be in real estate investing, especially as involved as you are. Do you want to kind of tell us a story about how you got in and how you got started? So my story is really funny. This is interesting to hear. So I grew up from a real estate investing family. My father's a real estate investor, but he was a DIYer. Did everything himself from the rehabs to the purchasing to the closings, everything. And he really wasn't much of a flipper. He was buy and hold. Actually, I flipped his first property with him because he just never did one through his career. So growing up, I was in gross, nasty houses and remodeling into the nicest houses on the block from probably whenever I was 13. I did a lot of the things that a typical 13-year-old could do. We did trash out. We did some painting here and there, just little things. He was just trying to introduce us into it. And as we were in these houses doing the renovations, we would always talk about, this is why we do this. We work once, we get paid forever. Kind of explaining the story of real estate investing and creating it and kind of transforming our minds to think we create our money. We create our wealth. We don't have to go work for it. That's not the way that we see things. So it kind of grew and expanded my knowledge on what an entrepreneur is as far as creating value in creating your wealth, creating your cash flow from an early age. And I really, really think that was probably the most beneficial thing that my dad could have ever taught me, along with the actual rehab. So, you know, as a 13 year old kid, I didn't appreciate it like I do now. Back then, waking me up on Saturday mornings in the summer to go work in a house was not necessarily my favorite thing to do. So 
I really actually hated it. I grew up hating real estate investing, every aspect of it, because I only saw it one way, which is the way my dad did it. I'm not saying that's the wrong way, but it's just not the way that I, I like to do it. So I grew up hating it. I actually wanted to be a commercial insurance salesman my entire life growing up. But in high school, I bought a $5,000 mobile home as my first investment. It was with my life savings. I purchased it for $3,500. I put $1,500 in the renovations and I rented it out for $600 a month. And I was 16 years old, uh, owned this thing cash. And while I was in high school, something that not everybody else saw, I had this consistent cash flow coming in. It paid for everything I wanted to do in high school. And it was just really cool to actually have that. But I still didn't see the real value in that. When I turned 18 years old, the next week, I went and sat down in front of a banker and asked for my first loan for a rental property. Small $30,000 house, needed some renovations that we did for the most part by ourselves. 18, I was still doing that. And whenever it was all said and done, I rented it out for $600 a month as well. My note payment was about $200. And by the end of it, I was making about another $350 a month cash flow. So by then, I was at a young age. I kind of had all my expenses paid. I bought myself a nice little truck and I bought a truck without having to work for it. So my mind started to sort of shift and it was still shifting a little bit. I went to college while I was in college. I was studying finance. I still planned on being a commercial insurance rep. So I did an internship at a large commercial insurance firm in America. The moment that I started doing that internship, I really saw the difference in between working for yourself versus working for somebody else. And I just, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I never had to do it. And it was, that's whenever I really started noticing that all of those years of teaching and transforming that my dad did, I started to show my mind that this is the way that I think. I can't, I think in creating value, I think in different terms. And it's just, that's, this just wasn't for me. I finished up the internship and that's whenever I really just took a full dive into real estate investing and started trying to figure out how do these guys really scale this to a thousand units plus do this because they don't do it by going in and doing the renovations themselves. Really found bigger pockets then and started diving hours into bigger pockets, started trying to learn. Okay, that's when I learned about syndication. That's when I learned about hard money lenders. That's when I really learned about flippers. People that some people do real estate investing, never buy and hold anything. All they do is flip properties. And I started learning all these different strategies that people were doing this and being massively successful. So that's when I really started trying to figure out, okay, where is the path that I'm going to take into this? Because I wanted to dive into something 110% and not look back. I burned all my bridges and this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. So that's whenever we really started flipping properties and we started learning how to do that without having to put any type of physical labor into it, really. We started really becoming friends with the people in the trades and really learning how real estate investors do this on large scale. And yeah, from there, here we are now. We've got 14 buy and hold rentals. One's an eight unit apartment complex. We've burst strategy on all of them. And we flipped, I guess, about 12 properties by now. We've done two new constructions and we're running and gunning. I'm still learning every day, still learning how I actually want to do this, but that's where I'm at now. That's super cool. Thanks for sharing your story. So are you working with your dad full time now? No, no, we don't actually work together at all. That stopped about five years ago, right whenever I got out. I was first into college. We did probably our last project together and that was it. Got it. So who is like we in this situation? Is it just you or? That's right. Me and my wife, our family. That's kind of what we're diving into. I've got my wife's full support. She's actually an interior designer for our business. So she designs all of our flips while I do the construction and renovations. Very nice. It's kind of like Chip and Joanna Gaines where like one guy does the rehab and the other one does all the designing. So 
And I feel like same with here, like my girlfriend in the future, she's going to be doing all the designing because she definitely has a better eye for that than I do for foot projects. It definitely seems that way. I'll tell you before she was doing that and I was designing all of them, they were about half as pretty as they are now. I just kind of go in and say, Hey, what do I have to do here? And then she tells me it really works out fantastic. Great. And you mentioned that you went into bigger pockets and you know, with bigger pockets are so many different strategies, right? There's buy and hold, there's flipping houses, syndications, blah, blah, blah. How did you decide what you want to do after consuming all of this information? It can be very overwhelming for a lot of new people. It can be. And for a couple of years, it was. I found myself for a couple of years bouncing back and forth to, do I want to do syndications? Do I want to just flip houses? Do I want to do a bear strategy? I couldn't really decide on one thing. That makes sense. I was like kind of dipping my toes into everything. And then all of a sudden for a couple of months, I'd be interested in syndication, reaching out to syndicators, trying to get on the phone with them and figure out how they do things. And then I would buy a single family house and there we go with birth strategy. It was like, I never really found real focus. And I would say that the focus actually happened really in the past year. I actually heard a quote that Brandon Turner said, it was about building the bridge to success, like success is on an island. And you have to build your first bridge, full bridge to success, get to the island, and then you've earned the right to start building your other bridges. So if you don't ever commit to one thing, you just end up with a bunch of half-built bridges. And that's kind of the path that I saw myself going down. And before I did, I stopped. I said, whoa, 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 let's take a step back here. I need to figure out what am I capable of doing at scale right now that can build that bridge to success fastest so that I can actually start looking into those other opportunities. So where I found that was flipping houses and doing burst strategy, buy and hold. Until so I build that first bridge to success. But I definitely found myself overwhelmed for probably two years where I really couldn't commit to one thing. Yeah. And then once you decided like, I'm going to do flipping houses and I'm going to do the birth strategy, like what did you do next to get to that success? So what I did next was I actually found some really good mentors in town, some friends of mine that become some of my best friends. I started really trying to get intentional about getting closer to them. And we all kind of started doing it together, facilitated by one guy. And being around other people that had found the focus for them was kind of what directed my focus to where I was going to go. So once I decided, hey, like, I'm really good at renovations. I spent, you know, most of my life around renovations. So I really know the process of, it was all residential too. So I really knew the process of a residential renovation from start to finish. So I said, I think that if I can be the general contractor on my renovations, I think I can flip houses faster and better than most can in my market. And I really think that I have a lot of control over the end product because I know how things are supposed to look. I know how the process is supposed to be done. So that's kind of where I decided, okay, I have to fall in love with flipping houses. So I sort of dove in. I said, okay, so where are we going to go from here? That recent of finding hard money, we're finding out a lot about hard money, a lot about private lenders, getting in front of a lot of wholesalers and local realtors, really trying to be the guy that people think of when they think of open houses. So that's kind of where that came into. That's really good. I mean, that is your unique, what's called your unique strength, where you know a lot about rehabbing houses, where I think a lot of people probably don't know that like skill. Uh, you know, I'm based here in the Bay Area grew up learning about computer science stuff, but I have no idea how to fix anything in my house. You know, I have to figure all that out on my own or hire somebody for even just the smallest of fixes. So yeah, definitely great that you're able to take that to your advantage. Now you mentioned that you kind of connected with other real estate investors and mentors, but where did you find these people? How were you able to connect with them? 
A local meetup group. So one of the guys runs our local real estate meetup group here. I've started being intentional about going, I guess, about three years ago now. I do not miss a month. Intentionally just started going and showing up and getting closer to these people and trying to get my foot in the door just to get to know these guys a little bit better. And it just really blossomed into now we have a really close intimate accountability group here with four of us. And that's where the focus really started to shift. And I really started learning, okay, well, this is where like I have to develop this focus if I ever want to really build that bridge to success. So really the local meetup group and just being extremely intentional about going every meeting, being early and make sure I'm staying late, talking to people, networking, and just trying to connect with the people that are doing basically what I want to do. And when you say mentoring, are you like paying them for official mentorship? Or is it more like, oh, he's my buddy. I can ask him a miscellaneous question here and there, go grab coffee with him and just talk about the business. It's more or less the second. So we are all, we bounce ideas off each other every day. We talk every day. It's just kind of grown into a really good relationship with all of us where we all help each other succeed. It took years to form where we all have actually formed this together, but it's happened. You know, that's really good. And I've got other mentors in town as well. No paid mentorship. I've just found people that want to help the younger generation succeed. So I've just kind of worked my way into those relationships and made sure that I stay on top of them and stay in front of these people. Yeah, I found that it's very interesting. Like the real estate investing community is so generous. They're willing to sit down, have lunch with you, even though you know, you might be just getting started. That's actually how I got my start. You know, I was joining the same meetup type groups. We joined like every different one. So it was one every single week. And you just see the same people over and over again. And eventually you form a relationship. You can ask them questions. And again, there's no like necessity to have this giant paid mentorship or anything like that. They just become your friends and they help guide you along with your journey. Exactly right. The real estate investing community, what I've seen is that it's less about competition and more about success together. Everybody wants to see each other succeed. So it's like, hey, what roadblock are you running into that I've maybe ran into myself and I can help you push through? At least for what I've noticed is that people are, like you said, are generally generous in this community. Everybody's really generous with their time, with their knowledge, and more than willing to help you if you're willing to ask for it. And I've always been somebody that, hey, don't be afraid to ask. Get in front of somebody and tell them what you're either A, looking for, wanting to do, or B, what you're struggling with. Because I would say that 95% of the time, the people that you ask for this, if you ask with you know, genuinely in your heart, you're just asking for these things, really people are going to help. Yeah, absolutely. And so while we're on this topic, you know, you mentioned that the Burr strategy is probably one of your most favorite things that you do right now. Can you go ahead and explain what the Burr strategy is and how you guys implement it in your business? Absolutely. So Burr strategy is uh, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. So basically you buy a property and typically you want to buy the ugliest house in the nicest neighborhood. That's kind of the general that everybody says. Ugliest house in the nicer, you rehab it, do your renovations, rent the property out to a tenant, quality tenant, and then you refinance it with a bank. Typically, when you're looking at rental property loans, I've seen that local banks or hard money lenders are the vendors that you're going to go to for this. They offer products for this. And then repeat, repeat the strategy. Typically, what you want to look for in a bird deal is that you want to be 70% leverage in the property. So you want to end up having no cash invested in the property. Banks will typically do a 70 to 80% cash out refi, which is they will give you the refinance amount, 80% or 70% of the loan for the value of the house. And if you're only in the house for 70 to 80% of that loan to value, well, then whenever you do your cash out refinance, they will give you all of your money invested back. So you will essentially own the property, receive the cash flow, 
with no money invested. That's the beauty of real estate. Where else in the world can you find an asset that you can own for $0 invested? It's a very rare thing and real estate is a really good vehicle for that. Mm -hmm. And have you come across any issues with the birth strategy? Because you know, I hear exactly what you said on other podcasts, but when people try to implement themselves, they come across some hurdles. Have you had any hurdles during this process? So the biggest hurdle I see is that people tend to underestimate the amount for renovations. So they might walk into a project and say, oh, it's going to take $30,000 to rehab this and make it rent ready. By the end of the deal, it ends up taking $45,000. And that $15,000 might have been the buffer between you getting all of your cash back or you having to leave five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 inside of the deal. So that's the biggest hurdle I see for people is, excuse me, that they underestimate the amount of renovations that it will take to get a property rent ready. How about on the lender side, like not being able to refinance all their cash out because of you know, appraisal issues or seasoning periods? Have you, have you had any issues like that come up? In my experience, no. So I'm a big believer in going and asking for what you want. There are some local lenders around here that do require seasoning periods, and then there's some that don't. So what did I do? I went and searched out some that don't. So seasoning period hasn't been a problem here, which I'm also a full-time real estate investor on my tax returns. That really does help. So I'm, I'm known to be experienced in operating the assets. That does help. But no, I've never had a problem with seasoning period. Appraisals, sometimes, yes. But typically, I look for deals that are that I buy deep enough. I can buy them cheap enough that even if the appraisal comes back twenty dollars or $30,000 less than I wanted it to, I'm still going to be able to get all or at least most of my cash back. I have had to leave some cash in deals. Not a lot. I've never really had a blow up one yet. Still very young in this. But so far, I haven't had a deal that has come back where my appraisal is bad, my rehab went over budget, and the numbers just aren't working anymore. And the beauty of real estate is if you ever got caught in that situation and you couldn't leave the cash in it, you were just kind of in a tight spot, you can always sell it, especially with residential. Sell it on the open market. And you can usually either A, cut your losses, or B, at least get some of your money back and maybe even a little bit of profit in the end. You may not get to keep the asset, but you had an exit strategy. And that's the beauty of real estate. There's so many exit strategies you can take on a deal. Cool. Do you mind walking us through an example of a deal that you had maybe recently and we can kind of go over like how you got it, the numbers, et cetera? Absolutely. Yeah. You want to do a flip or a burr? Which one do you think would be more beneficial for the listeners? Yeah. Let's do a burr strategy because I think those are super interesting. You know, flips are relatively standard where you buy the property, you fix it, you flip it, right? But burrs, there's a lot of little intricacies out there. So I guess we'll start with the beginning. How do you normally find your deals that come to you? I normally buy from really wholesalers for the most part. Um, every now and then we'll pick up a deal off the MLS, but mostly wholesalers. Okay. Can you give us an example of a purchase price for a bird deal? Like what would you buy a typical home for? Last year, we bought the ideal bird strategy house. I'm going to use that for the example. So it was a three bedroom, two bath, 1600 square foot house. It was a nice little house in a great part of town. Just never really got some love since the 80s. They built it and just left it how it was. Wasn't really, you know, people kind of were a little bit rough on it, but it wasn't really bad. But we bought it for 72000 And by closing costs and everything, it was about 73000 and some change. So before we go forward, how did you finance that property? So we actually bought that on a line of credit that we had on some other properties that we own that we have cashed. So we paid those off some time ago with revenue that we got from flip houses. And we took lines of credit on those and used that to purchase the property. All right. Let's take a quick pause there because 
I think that is something super unique too, that you guys have several properties that are free and clear, and somehow you're able to get a line of credit on those rental properties. So what kind of financing structure allows you to do that? Like what kind of bank is able to give you that kind of, that kind of loan? So it's a local bank. Local bank, what happened was we had two properties that we've wrapped up in this line of credit. Over time, just as we flipped houses, got revenue from different things, we paid off those houses. We own those free and clear, and that's how we got the line of credit. It's an 80-20. So they give us 80% of the value on those houses, and we have that as a working line of credit with the bank. So as a quick example, are the two properties worth like 200000 total, and then now you have 80%? They're worth 140000 I think it's just shy of 140000 and our line of credit on them is 100000 Okay, so that's cool. You have a $100,000 line of credit, and do you happen to know, I mean, this is kind of technical because I'm a lender myself, but like, is this 100K like first lien position? First lien position. Okay, got it. Yeah, first lien position, it's a five-year term and 4.85%. We just refinanced it about three months ago. So 4.85% and it's a five-year term. That's awesome. So at any time, you can just draw the money, use it for what you want, pay it back, right? It's a HELOC, line of credit. Absolutely, it's a HELOC. Yeah, it's a HELOC. It's been an awesome asset for us. That's amazing. Even though it's only a hundred grand, we've been able to do so many different deals with that $100,000. You'd be surprised what you can get creative with $100,000. Right, you could turn it and turn it without having to like originate a new loan and pay like origination fees and blah, blah, blah for uh, closing costs. 100%. Yeah, so that's great. Okay, awesome. So you're able to buy this property for 70, let's say $73,000 after paying all closing costs. How much work did it need in terms of yeah, what do you need for rehab? So we put $35,000 in renovation on the property. All in all, it ended up being about $110,000 inside of the deal. What type of work did it need? So we opened up a couple of walls that were, you know, the 1980s style sectioned off cookie cutter house. Opened up a couple of walls, made it more of an open floor plan. So we did that. We put all new flooring down. We textured all of the drywall to give it, you know, it holds up a little bit better for tenants. All new paint, painted the outside, put a new roof on. We put new granite countertops and then new plumbing fixtures, light fixtures, really gave it a nice update. Very cool. And I'm assuming you funded the rehab through a combination of the rest of the HELOC plus maybe like 10 grand of your own cash into the deal. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. And how long did it take to rehab this property? So it took about four months. Okay. It was a little bit longer than we initially planned, but we ended up running into a little bit of a, we initially budgeted $30,000 for it, but we ran into a $5,000 plumbing issue along the way, which is... I can talk about it as an interesting issue. We were moving a water line for to move it into the wall so they can make the bathroom a little bit bigger. And when the plumber busted open the slab of the house, he found out that the water lines were shredded for the entire bathroom under the slab. So we had to get all new plumbing for that entire bathroom. It ended up being about a $5,000 issue. So can you repeat that? Is it because the way he dug it, he, he broke it or was it already broken and then he had to fix it? It was already broken. It was already broken. It was just something that was like slow little bitty leaks along the line all the way down. And there was things that wasn't going to pop up, but obviously whenever it's all open, it's all bad. We had to get it replaced. Got it. Yeah. And it's something you wouldn't have known until you actually opened up the slab, right? Wouldn't have known. It was just something that happens. You know, that's kind of the things that happen along the way with renovations is you think you open up a can of worms and it just things happen. Cool. And you just have to repair them along the way. So are you like GC on these projects where you kind of show up every day to like make sure everything's going well, or do you hire somebody and then they take care of everything for you? We're GC. I was GC on this project. Depends on the project, but typically we GC them. But we have worked with, we found some subcontractors in town that 
we really trust on our projects, people that we've worked with for years, and we really try to stick with them. I'm a big believer that you pay for the work that you get in the trades. I'm more than willing to pay people that I trust and that I know will do quality work without me looking over their shoulder. I'm more than willing to pay them X amount more. If that prevents me from having to be breathing down their shoulder every time or calling them back to fix their work, I've really developed a good list of guys that I trust and people that I know that I can depend on. Yeah, that matters so much. And then after that point, are you self-managing or do you guys have a property management company that you send these off to? We have a third-party management company, and that's something we've implemented in the past couple of months. We did manage our properties for about three years. It was a great experience, and you really learned what you want out of a management company. But it was also a great experience in learning that I do not want to manage my properties. So I find that a lot of people end up doing that. They'll manage their own for a couple of years until it gets to be a little bit out of hand. We started flipping a lot more properties, and we started being a lot more involved in active renovations, and it was just something that we couldn't handle anymore. Third-party management company has been more than equipped to handle what we have, and they've done a fantastic job. It's so funny because my dad is actually a full-time property manager based here in the Bay Area. And growing up, I've seen his struggles, right? He's getting chewed out from both sides, both the owner and the tenant. So it's like, that's like the worst place to be. And I'm like, hey, dad, I actually own investment properties and I get passive income doing nothing. <laughs> yep, I know. It's an amazing thing. It's, it's Property managers, I will say, probably have the worst job in real estate investing. It really takes a special person because you get eaten up on both ends. Nobody's ever happy. Yeah. And I mean, when they call you, it's always an emergency, right? That's the only reason why you're calling a property manager. And at a certain point, you know, just by the number of statistics, you're going to have an issue every like 40 properties. So it's nonstop, nonstop, like dealing with the emergencies. And that's not the life for me. But in any case... No, not me either. Yeah. But in any case, now you have this property that is completely rehabbed at 110 all in. You give it off to your property manager. What does that property rent for now? The property rents for $1,500 a month. Wow. So at $1,500 a month, I'll go through the refinance property after that. So yep. yeah, we rented it for $1,500 a month. Then once we got the lease placed, we went to our local bank and we asked for the refinance amount. So when they did their appraisal, they appraised the property at $168,000 and we did a 70% mortgage on it. So we kept 30% equity in the property, which I think is a really good number to keep. 30% is a really good buffer against market waves. So if you know the market ever does take a 2008 tank again, and we see home values drop, I really think you're going to be generally safe at that 30% equity mark. So that's why we don't typically leverage out more than that. So we took a 70% loan back out on the property. And so that gave us $117,600 at closing. Yeah. So you're actually able to cash out. Yeah, we actually cashed out. So after we paid our title fees and stuff like that, we equaled out to about that $600. We ended up with, let's see, 117000 And we had ended up with about $7,000 back in our pocket. Yeah, I mean, that's pure, like non-taxable income because it's a loan, right? Exactly. Pure non-taxable income that came back into our project. And now we own the property with zero cash invested. Wow. And like Brandon Turner says in the Bigger Pockets podcast, at this point, your return is now infinite because you have no cash invested. Yeah. Is this a 30-year fixed loan? No, it's a 20-year, 20-year, five-year term, 20-year loan, five-year term. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we're actually working with some other like small banks based in the East Coast, right? And we can do something very similar to that. I think this is like the key point that people need to know about the birth strategy. I mean, it is easy, relatively speaking, to like, find a deal, rehab it, rent it out, right? But that last R, right? The, the refinancing portion is something that we don't talk about enough because it's not known, right? I think maybe to us, it's pretty obvious because we have our connections and stuff. But to people just listening, brand new, they think, oh, I can go to Wells Fargo and 
two weeks after I finish my rehab, I can refinance and get all my money back out. In reality, no, it's not going to happen because they're going to want seasoning, right? They're going to be like, oh, you bought this for 70 grand three months ago. Why is it worth 170 today? This is fake appraisal or something like that, right? They're going to come up with some excuse to not give you the loan. Yep. There's always something in that. What I've found is that it takes a bank that's willing to do the loan. So a commercial loan on a residential property is a special product, as you know. A lot of banks won't lend on that, especially the big nationwide banks, the Wells Fargo's, Chase Banks. They don't have a product for that. So typically what you're going to look for is A, local banks, small local banks, or D, hard money lenders that loan to real estate, which is somebody like you guys. You are able to offer these products and that's really all you're going to find. It's really good to find somebody local if you do, or either way, because they understand the market. They understand the nature of what you're doing. They understand the deal. So if you come to them and say, hey, I have a property now that's worth $170,000 in XYZ area, they're going to say, okay, good area. The home values typically are around there in that area. That makes sense. Whereas if you go to the nationwide banks and they have to send it to their underwriters that live in New York, they're going to say, what's the deal with this? And they're going to kick it back, say, fake appraisal, you know, things like you were saying, you're going to run into a lot more roadblocks and it's going to be really hard to get that loan. Whereas if you just go sit down in front of enough local bankers, you go make enough connections in the hard money lending industry, you're going to find somebody that you can connect with and really do business with on the long term and what you're doing. Yeah. Can you share the loan terms of this unique loan that you have from your refinance? Yep. It's a 20 year. So it's $117,600. We have a five year fixed rate and we're at four and a half percent interest. And then, you know, is it a five year balloon or is it five years and then it, you know, adjust? Adjustable rate. Yeah. Five year adjustable rate. So not a balloon. They just analyze whatever the market rate is going to be at that time. And, you know, we adjust the rate there. Got it. So, I mean, we have a very similar one. So my girlfriend, she just purchased a, a portfolio of four different properties. Same thing too. Like they can offer 15% down, but it's 20 year loan and then five year adjustable. I mean, it's cool. It's a scary thing. I don't like the five year adjustable. It's scary because who knows what rates are going to be in five years. But the way I always saw it was, okay, well, probably by year four, I will have paid enough equity down where I can refinance it again if I want to. And maybe around year three, I can start analyzing the interest rates in the area. Say, okay, what are interest rates going to be doing here for the next year, two years? And if we do really see a, well, you know, of course, see a really big spike in interest rates coming up, we can always go back to the bank and refinance at a lower rate, get that next five years and just prolong our period of, you know, keeping these interest rates lower than low. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if you could, you could even potentially pay it off or get a conventional loan to do it because now it's been over six months and your ceasing period is over. Yep. My girlfriend's thinking too, like, hey, worst case scenario. I mean, like I said, yeah, you can pay it off. That's her logic. There's a lot of exercises. Sometimes you have caps. Like it won't go past like a certain amount. Right. Yeah. Some do. It's awesome whenever you can find the ones that don't. Like maybe you're at four and a half percent and you can't get past seven. Like, well, if the numbers still work at 7% interest, well, then you have a great investment. Numbers work no matter what your loan amount's going to be. Those are awesome loans too. I typically see, I see, I've gotten one of those as well. It was on commercial properties though. On commercial properties, we've had the the cap out rate. The residential, since it's such a special product, it's typically just a, a real adjustable rate and five years they're going to reevaluate. Yeah. So I guess big tip for our listeners, like if you want to do the birth strategy, if you, even before you start finding good deals, figure out how you're going to refinance. Like what is the exit strategy? You can either go through a, you know, a local legender like you are using, or you can go through someone like myself who can do our long-term rental loan program. Like ours is 30 year fixed, but we do have a lot more stipulations than like the local banks do. Right. I can see that there's like pros and cons to everything. 
it's like, uh, you know, you want to begin with the end in mind. You know, you don't want to just dive in and say like, oh, I'm going to do this. And then six months down the road, the property is rehabbed. And now you have all your cash investment in this thing. You can't figure out how to get it out. And then you're forced to sell the property. You don't want to be forced to sell the property if your intent is to keep it. You always want to begin with the end in mind. What is your end goal for this property? And then how am I going to get to that point, work backwards from there? Yeah, I mean, the reason why I bring this up is because I had this exact same situation happen to me on my very first rental property. I was just in bigger pockets. I was hyped. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy this property for cheap. I'm going to offer them like super below market offer and then you know, a lowball offer and see if they accept it. So we did that and they accepted it. I had this one property that was listed for a hundred grand. I thought it would you know, appraise for around that price and we got it for like 77,000, okay? But then you know, they were like, oh, like, I don't know if I want to sell for 77. Can you go to 85? I'm like, how about I buy it at 77, but I'll pay for your closing costs. Like I'll be paid for your agent too. They're like, okay. So for me, it ended up being around $82,000. Okay, so I saved like three grand there. But then when it came time to refinance, I thought, oh, it's worth $100,000. I'm gonna be able to do like a cash out refi at 80%, get $80,000 back, right? They're like, well, actually you bought this for 77. You know, I'm like, no, I bought for 82. They're like, no, you bought for eight, you bought for 77. That's what the purchase price says on your contract. So we can give you, you know, X amount of 77. And I was like, damn. And at that point, I already paid for my appraisal, right? It cost me like 500, 600 bucks. So I was like, all right, whatever. Just give me whatever you can give me. My money stuck in the deal. It is what it is. But that was something that I realized, wow, the Burr strategy, refinancing is not as simple as it always seems to be. You have to really like dig. And even talking with credit unions, you know, for you, should be simple, right? But for us, we live in California. They're like, wait, you live in California. We can't give you this type of loan. Sorry. You know, you have to build that relationship and then maybe they'll give it to you in the future. Right. Yeah. I know things are a lot more difficult in California than they are in Louisiana. I'm blessed to live in a market where our numbers really work in real estate, real estate investing. We, uh, you know, our rent to buy ratio is really good over here. I'm just blessed in my local market. It, it really does work here. I mean, I know a lot of places, like especially in the Bay Area, like, I don't know how in the world you make real estate investing work in the Bay Area with a three-bedroom, two-bath house costing a million dollars. That's unbelievable. My neighbor, two doors down, sold her house for $1.2 million. There's no way I'm going to buy another rental in this neighborhood, right? And it only rents for 3000 or 4000 bucks a month. So your price-to-rent ratio is all screwed up here. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. You really got to find... That's how David Green's book on the out-of-state real estate investing is really good because, you know, people that live in the Bay Area, you know, really Seattle areas that it's just unbelievably expensive you got to find somewhere to do it if you really want to do it, you know? So best to start looking outside your market and somewhere where the numbers actually work. Midwest is really well. Southern areas are usually really good. All right, watch out. We're all coming to Louisiana. We're going to buy up your entire market. Come on, man. I mean, hey, I'm nice over here. Y'all come on. Very nice. So, I mean, you've been doing this for a few years now. What would you say have been like your major challenges or major struggles that you faced throughout your journey? That struggle of focus for the first couple of years was probably the biggest struggle. And it wasn't something that I even really noticed. It was something that I noticed once the focus had been found. So I didn't notice that I was kind of just trying to dabble around and everything. And I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. I didn't notice that until I actually did decide I was going to focus on one thing. And I said, well, the past three years, or uh, past two years, I haven't really been focused on one thing. I've been kind of just doing a little bit of everything. So really committing was probably the biggest hurdle Technical hurdle was finding deals until I switched my mindset to being an abundance mindset, saying that there's enough deals out. There's enough deals here for everybody. If I commit to finding a deal in the next 30 days, I will do it. That change in mindset really changed the way I think about things. And now deals are abundant. You know, you can really just find them wherever you want. They're everywhere. 
it's a creativity problem. It's not necessarily a market problem. All right. Can we go into that just a little bit? So, I mean, I understand like change your mindset. Yeah. But what actually changed in what you were doing? Was it that in the beginning you thought there were no deals out there, so you just didn't look? And then now that you thought, hey, deals are out there, now you actually put yourself out there to like, talk to wholesalers? Or like what actually changed there? So I decided that I didn't want to be a person that sourced my own deals. I didn't want to be a letter marketer. I didn't want to do direct text. I didn't want to do cold calls. I didn't want to market for my own deals. Where I wanted to see my value added was in the renovation because I was so skilled in renovation. That's where my skill was. So, you know, for a while there, I was trying to say, how do I do direct marketing? I'm going to cold call 200 people until I find a deal. And I decided that I'm not going to be that guy. That's not going to be me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go get in front of every wholesaler in town. I'm going to go get in front of every realtor in town. And I want everybody to know what I do. So that way, whenever a deal flows across their desk, they can give it to me. They can take their fee. I want everybody to win. And let the wholesalers take however much money they're taking from the deal for me. It's great. If numbers work for me, that's all I'm concerned about. And that's where I wanted to see my real value added was I wanted to be the person that everybody thought of whenever they thought of real estate investing, burst strategy, and flipping houses. I wanted to be that guy. So I made it a point to get on every wholesale list, to get every realtor in town to know what I do. So that way, deals will start flowing to me. And they did. That's sim simply put, after about you know six months of really getting in front of everybody, the deals start flowing to you. Yeah, I love it. What's kind of like your value proposition? I'll tell you some backstory on that question. You know, a lot of people say the same thing. Hey, get in front of different wholesalers, talk to as many agents as you can, and find their pocket listings. But when you talk to agents and you say, hey, give me your pocket listings, they're going to be like, who the hell are you? You know, why should I give you my pocket listings? I already work with a bunch of investors. So what's your value prop talking to someone that may not know you to convince them to send you their pocket listings? My value proposition is the everybody wins, is the everybody wins mantra. A lot of investors out there I see are trying to get it as cheap as they possibly can. They want to extract every bit of profit they can from you so they can take it. My value proposition was never that. Mine was, I want you to win. You know, I want you to win as much as I want to win. So, you know, bring me your deals, however much you want to make on them, what your fee is. Like, if the numbers don't work for me, it's not a you problem. That's a me problem. So I will take whatever you're offering me if the numbers work for me. So it was more or less not like a, I wasn't trying to, somebody send me a deal and say, hey, this listing is going to be at $35,000. And I say, oh, well, I'll give you 28. I wasn't going to be that guy. I was going to look at it and say 35,000. Can I make the numbers work within a couple thousand there? I might say, hey, you know, 35,000 or, you know, even if it's $135,000, hey, that doesn't work for me, but maybe can we come off like two or 3,000 there? It might be a little bit better. But typically I never saw a big value increase or decrease between two or $3,000 on a deal. It was, hey, if you want to take the extra two or $3,000, great. I'll make it up over 20 years. Like I'm in this for the long-term buy and hold. I'm in this for the long-term wealth building. Real estate time is definitely on your side. So I always looked at it as, hey, is that two or $3,000 going to matter in the next 20 years? Cancer are probably not. So if that's your fee right now, take it. If your fee on a wholesale is $20,000, I'm not going to try to beat you up to down to you only making 15 because I want to make the extra five. The extra five is not going to matter to me in this deal because typically, you know, I want to buy them deep enough where that $5,000 isn't going to really make a difference. So if you send it to me, you can probably get that extra $5,000 that your next investor might beat you up over. And what are you doing to connect with these wholesalers and agents? So like cold calling them or emailing them? So really what it was, was if we sold flips for a while, any agent that went and sold the house, I wanted to talk to them. So I would talk to them and say, hey, look, I'm the seller. 
not necessarily, I don't want any information about your buyers, nothing like that. I just want to connect with you and let you know I'm doing this. This is what I do. And they're walking into my renovations at that point. So they see good product, you know, and you know, typically I live in a smaller town. So I think we have about a hundred thousand people within a few cities. So they know the street, they may have seen the house before. So they may have seen it whenever it was really ugly and really, uh, you know, in terrible condition and now it's beautiful. So they might be able to see, Hey, this is this guy's in product. He's actually really doing this. So I just call him and say, Hey, I just want to let you know I'm doing this. So if you ever come across any deals that, you know, might've looked like this house and you need a good new investor, please give me a call. I'd love to take a look. Same thing with wholesalers. Wholesalers was just, I make it intentional to go to our real estate meetups. Most go there. So I just made it really intentional and say, Hey, any deal you send me, I will look at if it's within this criteria. I always have my criteria set out. I like brick homes on a slab built after 1960 with, you know, generally this amount of renovation and no serious mold issue. You know, that's an example. Giving them a really specific criteria was always really good because rather than just saying like, send me all your deals, like everybody does, you're going and saying, I'm looking for these specific types of deals. So if you come across that, send it to me. So that way, whenever one does, they connect the dots and says, hey, this is perfect for Cody. Send it straight to me. And then it's exactly what I'm looking for. That's awesome. And actually, you may not know this, but your value props to agents is actually that they've walked through your property and that they have seen that you're a real investor, not just some person asking for a pocket listings like so many people are. Right. And I always think that's something that people don't really think about doing. Like if you have a successful renovation and you flip a house or even if you build a new construction or whatever it might be, you have agents walking in and out of that house every day with showings. Call them. And I'm not sure what the agent laws are on this, but it might be illegal to, it's probably illegal to ask about sellers. Hey, were your sellers interested? Stuff like that. Like probably illegal to ask about that, but just call them and say, Hey, I noticed you went and took a look at XYZ. It's my project. I just want to call and let you know that, hey, if you're if you come across any house that looks like this, please give me a call. I want to know because it's what I do. And you obviously see my product. We're serious in this. This is something we're doing every day. So if you come across any deals, send them my way. And I always give them that criteria. You know, I'm looking for, you know, brick on slab, three bedroom, two bath, or at least three bedrooms, you know, no serious major foundation issue. Awesome. Really, you want to be that person that whenever they connect your dots of what you're looking for, you're the one you think of. And they send it to you and, and always follow through whenever you look at, whenever you say you're going to go look at a deal, even if you're not interested in it, follow through, go look at it. Don't be the person that they send the deal to that never goes and shows up at the property and they never hear back from. Always make it a point to call them back and say, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm not interested in this deal for X, Y, Z, but I wanted to let you know, I went and took a look. And uh, if you come across another one, let me know. And, you know, let them know that, Hey, whenever I'm sending you something, you're going to look and always make it soon too. Don't go you know, walks into the property a week later, like by that time they have sent it to 10 other investors, you know, make sure that if they send it to you, go look that day, make it a point to go look that afternoon or at the, the next morning or at the best you could do. Go take a look, make sure you put your eyes on it and, and always give them a reason why it doesn't work for you specific to the house. Like, uh, don't just say like, Hey, that property is not going to work for me and just make up something. Say, no, it's not going to work for me because the wood siding is rotten on 75% of the house. And it's just, it's a little bit more than we want to put into our rehab budget. You know, that lets them know, hey, you actually went and put your eyes on the house and looked at it. I think that's invaluable. Like this little nugget that people don't really see is the invaluableness of that. Because how many times have you told somebody something and they just never follow through? It's, it's over time, you become the person that doesn't follow through. And you just never want to build that reputation for yourself. You want to be the person that goes and looks every time that you're always going to be dependable. And that whenever they send you a deal, there's a genuine chance that you might buy it. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, Cody, this has been a fantastic conversation. 
can you tell our listeners, maybe them who are brand new or maybe some of them who are younger than, you know, they think they're too young to get in this industry, some words of encouragement or words of advice to get started with this business? That's really my mantra in this is that I'm 24 years old. I've got 14 properties now. You know, we've done well over, I think, probably nearing 30 deals now. You can do this at any age. You know, I'm a big believer that if you walk into a room with a banker, with a realtor, whoever it might be, a contractor, and you really go in there and you know your stuff, you act 10 years your age, and you hold yourself to a high degree of respect, they're going to respect you in the same way. I think a lot of investors have that fear of going to sit down in front of the banker and being told no. You know, the bank works for you and, you know, they want to partner with you and everybody's in this to do business with you. And I think whenever you walk in with that fear and with that, you know, nervousness around you, I think it can really show. So my thing is there's so much creativity in real estate investing. You can be a connector. You can a wholesaler is just a connector. You can be a connector of people. You can, if you've just grown up around construction, you know, construction, that's a valuable asset that a lot of people don't have. If you're a really good salesman, go be a realtor. Work for some lending companies if you're really good at finance. It's, there's so many avenues in real estate investing that you can really dive in one way or another, and you can really get creative in how you do these deals. You know, I just showed you with the bird strategy there. You can get into these deals with no money when it's all said and done. And how do you make the money doing it? Well, find a really good hustle like you're a good salesman. Be the realtor. You know a lot about construction. Maybe do a couple of flips and partner with somebody in town that's done a few. I guess my biggest thing is that you're not too young to get started. It's almost like you can't afford to get started. That's not true. It's you can't not afford to get started. Does that make sense? You have to get started now because real estate works for you over time. It's something that is a time game. And the more you do it, the better you're going to get. So my biggest thing is if you're young, don't be afraid to be told no. Go sit in front of the bankers. Go walk properties with contractors. Talk to the wholesalers. Talk to the realtors and be somebody that follows through. Be somebody that does things that most people don't even do. Just be there, be present, be available, always show up, always follow through and be somebody that's willing to be told no, because for every no is one step closer to a yes. You can do this and just don't, don't be too nervous. Don't doubt yourself. Don't fear yourself. Go in and fail. If you fail, that's one step closer to success. Yeah. Learning lesson every time you fail for sure. So Cody, how can people get in contact with you? I'm primarily on Instagram. So at Cody Caswell Real Estate, C-O-D-Y-C-A-S-W-E-L-L, thanks for my name. Yeah, I'm trying to get a little bit better on Instagram. So mainly you can find me there. We're probably going to start a YouTube channel here soon, but whenever we do, you'll link us on there. We've got a website, www.ivory-company.com, I-V-O-R-Y, it's us. You can see some of our renovations on there in the past. We need to do a little bit of updating on the site, but yeah, best way to find me is on Instagram. Be sure to reach out to me. Send me a direct message. I reply to every DM that I get. So if you guys are more interested in learning about what we do, maybe about what it was like getting in front of the first time I got in front of a banker, what it was like the first time I walked to rehab. If you've got questions, hey, you know, we might have ran into this issue. How do you fix this? I'm really good, really good with the construction stuff. I've ran into almost anything you can imagine. So if you just need some advice on a deal, something like that, reach out to me. I love to help people. This is a business that everybody who's in it, I want to see everybody succeed. So I'd really love to help anybody I can in any possible way. Awesome. Well, Cody, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And thank you so much for sharing your unique strategies with our podcast listeners. Absolutely. I really appreciate you having me on here. It's really been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, 
Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.